Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. Good morning. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Let's clap our hands one more time to the Lord. I think we ought to add our voices to that. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I want to turn your attention to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40 and verse 8. I'll be reading there in just a moment. As you're turning, it is always an honor to, to teach in this pulpit. I give great honor to the body of Christ today. I give honor to our pastor, and uh, we're so blessed. As, as you know, uh, he is in, um, where is he? Norway, that's right. He is in Norway today and uh, with Sister Jillian, and uh, I'm uh, ministering at the general conference there, and so be in prayer for him. And, um, and so we, we are so blessed here with uh, such a great pastor and pastor's wife and family, and I give them great, great honor today. I will be um, uh, beginning somewhat of a series. There will be a break. Next week is our business meeting that will happen at 10 a.m. Uh, to vote on the new church property, which is exciting. And, uh, and so this will start here, and then there will be a break, and then we'll get back into it. But I'm going to begin uh, a series on the Word of God, the Word of God. And um, I can't, um, I, I told Pastor uh, what I had felt, and he had felt the same, and I was thankful for that. And um, we need to know uh, the word, and uh, we need to know our sword, know know the word of God. And so Isaiah <clears throat> chapter forty and verse eight: The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The word of our God shall stand forever. In this first week of the series of the Word of God, I hope to teach um, and provide you with information uh, on this subject, the validity of the Word of God, the, 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 the truth that this is the actual Word of God. Amen. Before you see it one more time, would you lift your hands and, and just ask the Lord to help to help us today. Jesus, we love you. We need you. God, we pray that you would open our hearts, our ears, our minds. God, I pray, Lord, that we would, God, receive the teaching of your word today. God, we need teaching, oh God. We need teaching that will sustain what you have done in us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated commend all the young people that are here this morning. This weekend we had Ohio Midwinter Youth Retreat. We had, we had 70 young people uh, at Midwinter, which is exciting. Just a massive group of young people. <clears throat> and uh, Friday night, the, the after event started at 1130. And started. That's not ended. That started. Uh, started at 11:30 and went until 1:30, 30 
and uh, in bed at 3.30, some of them longer than that, but my room in particular, God bless you gentlemen, just love and appreciate and adore how long you stayed up after you got in the hotel room. God bless you for that. I'm getting old, y'all. And uh, no, we had so much fun. And uh, and so uh, all the young people are here today and they're, and they're awake. Are you guys awake? You guys alive and well? Yeah. <laughs> it's like a collective like moan from the... <laughs> the Word of God. We are... We are living in a day, an hour, where truth is under attack. Truth. All forms of truth. It's under attack. Truth as a whole is under attack. So much so that nearly three out of four Americans say there is no such thing as ultimate or absolute truth. Did you hear that? Three out of four Americans say there is no such thing as ultimate or absolute truth. And unfortunately, the numbers don't look much better among those who claim to follow Jesus. In a society where ultimate truth is treated like a fairy tale, an outdated idea, or even an insult to human intelligence, the motto of our day has become your truth. The motto of our time has become, what is your truth? Believe whatever you want, do whatever seems best to you, live for whatever brings you pleasure, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, and of course, be tolerant to everyone. Don't try to tell anyone that their truth is wrong. We're living in such a twisted day where evil is being called good and good is being called evil and, and, and men are, are waxing worse and worse and we're seeing the, 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 the foundation of a Christian nation deteriorate right before our eyes. And if we have ever needed a basis, if we have ever needed a foundation on which to stand in the decisions that we make, in the thoughts that we think, in the actions that we take. If we have ever needed a foundation to stand on that is true, unmoving, unchanging, and unwavering, we need it in 2023. He said, Peter, upon this rock, it's a foundation. It's a firm place. It's not unstable. When He said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not not prevail against the stable place, the rock, the, the thing that does not change with time, that does not move with culture, that does not move with from generation to generation. We, ladies and gentlemen, the whole premise of the church is that we believe in this book that has not been edited, it has not been changed. Amen. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will bow. Oh, 
he said not one jot, not one tittle will be replaced. He said it's not moving, it's not because it doesn't need to be. It was relevant then and it's relevant now. We need a sure foundation. If there is no basis, if there is no rock, no foundation for moral decisions, then whatever you choose to do is fine. Of course, most people like to believe that they have some basis for the decisions that they make. So society has constructed its own standards. They claim to believe in science and reason. Yeah, if I can... If I can't see it, hear it, smell it, taste it, touch it, and test it, it can't be true, they say. That's funny until they start talking about evolution. Haven't experienced any of it and yet somehow believe in it. People have come to base truth upon popular opinion. Our, our society bases what's true on what's popular. You only have to look as far as your TV to know that society thinks popular opinion is a good basis for making decisions. Otherwise, why would our advertisements tell us to catch the wave or, or make the choice of a new generation? All of these ads appeal to the idea that everyone is doing it and you should as well. And thirdly, feelings and emotions are perhaps the most popular basis for making choices today. After all, how can anyone argue with how you feel? How can anyone come against what you feel is true? It's the most popular, it's the most popular foundation of truth that this world has right now. Feelings and emotions have been elevated to truth, my truth. If feelings are a good standard for decision making, then you'll never have to come up with a better with a better defense than I did it because I felt like it. And because of a world absent of absolute unchanging truth, suicide is now the leading cause of death among young people. 4,000 families tomorrow will file for a divorce. 4,400 abortions will be performed every day this week. Hmm. We've gotten away from the principles of this book. We, our society has gotten away from, from the foundation, the shore and solid place that, that we have stood upon. And because we have relegated truth to feelings, emotions, popular opinions, or reason, truth has now become relative. Because there is no shore place, now people are going haywire. Uh, feelings and emotions and mental illnesses and, and, and things that are running rampant because really what it boils down to is the foundation of truth has been questioned on everything. Everything. And chaos is always the result of a family, an individual, a society. Chaos has always been the result of someone or something absent of absolutes. You want chaos in your life? Just be wishy-washy in what you believe. You want, you want chaos in how you parent? Just be wishy-washy in what you stand for. 
You want chaos and how you think and, and how you respond to God? Just, just, just ride the wave of your emotions and see how far that gets you in living for God. Listen, we've got to get beyond what society defines truth as. We've got to get into this word and say thy word is truth. Your word is what's true in my life. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify. That word sanctify means to become. It, it means to, to, to develop from, 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 from something unhealthy to something healthy, from something unsaved to save. The process of sanctification occurs through the foundation of the truth of the word of God. A man cannot tell you how to become a better you. I'm tired of all this stuff, become a better you. And we ought, to, we ought to try to become better. We ought to try to become the best person that we can. But don't you ever forget, honey, that God never designed for a man to give you instruction. He laid out this word so that you can learn wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way. Where can you, be, where, how can you grow? How can you become better? By taking heed to the word of the Lord. I'm sorry if I'm, I'm stirred this morning if you, haven't, if you haven't noticed, but we need truth. We need truth. Amen. The word of God is true. And we have to understand that this book is the infallible, undeniable, un unquestionable, unmoving word of God. This book is God's words to my life. James 1 and 5 tells us, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. If anyone lacks wisdom, the Bible says that we can ask. Can I tell you that the answers to life are in this book? How to treat your spouse is in this book. How to live a successful teenage life is in this book. How to do right with your money is in this book. Amen. How to treat your employees or employers are in this book. How to retire well is in this book. How to be a bit, everything that you need is in the word of God. Somebody say amen. George Washington said this. George Washington said this. It's impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Abraham Lincoln said this, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given man. And Daniel Webster says this, if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering. But if we in our prosperity neglect its instructions and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all of our glory in profound obscurity. We see the example. We see history teaches us lessons. And we see throughout uh, the story of the Roman Empire, it crumbled because of moral decay, high taxes, pleasure-seeking culture. It crumbled from within. And it will be no different in our country if our country maintains the path of pleasure seeking, 
maintains the path of morality being decayed and taxes going out the way. I'm telling you, we're on the path for destruction. May I remind us today that the first five colleges in America were founded to study the word of God. This, this, this country was founded on the word. But our country has unfortunately arrived where the Romans arrived. We have drifted away what the nation was founded upon. America is in trouble. But God is not in trouble. And the Bible is the key. 2,000 years ago, Paul said and declared evil men and seducers were going to wax worse and worse. What is happening in our nation is already in this book. That's why we must get our eyes into this book. For he says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. If we can build our lives on this word, he can give you the answers for tomorrow and the healing you may need for today. There is no possible way to tell you how important this book is. And I've got to hurry. I've got so much notes, I don't know if I'm going to get through it all. There's no possible way to tell you how important this book is. In Deuteronomy chapter 3, Moses instructed that the children of Israel were to stand and listen to the reading of the word of God every seven years. The, the, the priest would come and stand before them and read the word of the Lord because Moses understood that if this nation is going to be well and going to be right with its God, then the word of God has to be at the forefront. If we could ever become people that fall in love with this word. Jesus said in John chapter 5, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. He said, if you continue in my word, in John 8, 31, he said, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. The question I hope to answer to you uh, uh, today is, in a, in a generation where all truth is being questioned and challenged, I hope to provide some evidence that this Bible is not just a conglomeration of some words written by some old men, but this is the infallible Word of God. Amen. I will say from the outset, that there is no amount of truth, there is no amount of evidence that I can provide to you that removes the necessary component of faith when it comes to believing the Bible. I can provide you with all of the evidence in the world that this Bible is true, but if you do not have faith to believe, evidence must be coupled with faith. The question we face as Christians right now and that this word faces right now. We have come through so many different translations and thoughts. How do you know that this Bible is the real thing on the subject of faith? And the answer to that question is this. If God is strong enough and powerful enough to give his word, 
If he's powerful enough to speak to men who were moved by the Holy Ghost and wrote as they were inspired by God. If God is strong enough to give his word, he is strong enough to keep his word. Yes, he is. If he's strong enough to give it then, he's strong enough to keep it now. And that's where faith comes in. There may be things that cause questions in you, but you better understand if he's strong enough to give it, he's strong enough to keep it. So you don't need to doubt. Amen. You don't need to, you don't need to doubt that this is God's word. He's kept, he's protected. He's, he's, he's encapsulated this word. Amen. So that man can't interfere. Amen. With his word. We can believe and know that this is the word of God. Holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Ladies and gentlemen, he would not let us get to 2023 and not have what we need in these last days. Amen. How do I know the Bible is true? Well, let's look this morning at some evidence. The Old Testament is a conglomeration of books that covers around 3,600 years of man's history. The Jewish people had scribes who were in charge of the manuscripts. They were so meticulous about doing it perfect that they counted all the paragraphs, words, and even letters so they would know that if they had, uh, so that they would know if they had copied correctly. They even knew the middle letter of each book so that they could count back and see if they had missed anything at all. The oldest complete copy of the Hebrew Old Testament in museums today are dated at about A.D. 1000. That's a long time after the originals were written, which is, supposed, which is uh, between 1450 and 400 B.C., so no one could question. Uh, so so one could question if, after many centuries of copying, we really have the original words of the Old Testament. Enter now, 1947, in a cave called the Qumran, a a breakthrough discovery called uh, that were called the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were discovered in these caves behind me. It was, it was an amazing find because, uh, because two boys found these scrolls and tucked away in these caves by the Dead Sea. They didn't know the first thing about it. They, the boys sold the, the scrolls for shoe leather. Archaeologists got a hold of those scrolls in 1947. They went back to the cave, and when they went back to the cave, they found every book of the Old Testament that had been written. And when they went back and combed through the pages of discoveries in 1947, they found that what they currently had as the Old Testament was exact to what had been published. 1947, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls verified that everything that had already been recorded was valid. That's evidence. Somebody say evidence. These well-preserved texts date back to 100 B.C., 
Amazingly, there is virtual agreement between the Dead Sea Scrolls and those dated 1,100 years later. This proves we can trust the Hebrew copies of the Old Testament that are existing today. Now let's move on to the New Testament. The New Testament. The reliability of the New Testament. Y'all stay with me. I've, I've got a lot of information and things that I'm going to be reading. But I think our generation needs to hear this. The New Testament, the reliability of the New Testament Greek text is even more certain than the Old Testament text. The New Testament was written around A.D. 45 to A.D. 90. Some fragments of Greek texts exist that date back to A.D. 120 and 150. That's only 35 to 100 years after the originals that Paul, John, Luke, and others wrote. Another big help is that there are four to five thousand copies, uh, four to five thousand New Testament Greek manuscripts existing today. By comparing this many copies, scholars can weed out possible copying mistakes. Compare the two factors of date and number of existing manuscripts and copies with other literature that historians consider accurate. There are some people who believe that the Bible can't be trusted because they believe it has been changed over the years. The inconsistency with that argument is that there are other ancient writings that far fewer manuscripts and larger gaps between the earliest copy and the original writing which receive little or no skepticism. Would you throw up that chart on the screen? Josh McDowell, in his book, The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict, compiled this data. 643 manuscripts were compiled of the Iliad by Homer. The earliest copy is 400 years from the original writing. Most people readily accept the authenticity of our modern day Iliad. So you have this chart that, that shows the, the author, the writer, the famous individual. The earliest, the earliest manuscript that we have of the writings and how many copies of the writings we actually have. Plato, a famous Greek author and philosopher, wrote many, many things that, we, that our society holds to be true. But the earliest copy of what he wrote was 1,200 years after he wrote it. That's a long time. And we have seven copies. Caesar, we all know Caesar, wrote many things, Greek, all that. I don't know all the details of Caesar. I'm not here to talk about Caesar. But the stuff that we have from Caesar is, is 900 years later. After he wrote it. And we got 10 copies. Herodotus, 1,300 years later. Eight copies. Aristotle, 1,400 years later. We've got five copies. And our, and our society accepts those teachings and philosophies as nearly doctrine. And question is brought to the Old Testament, excuse me, to the New Testament. And here is the evidence. The earliest manuscripts that we have of the New Testament are possibly 35 to 100 years later. That's, that's so short. That's such a short amount of time. And we have four to 5,000 copies of the New Testament that verify that these manuscripts are in agreement and true. Amen. This is a sure foundation. 
This is evidence that uh, this is evidence that should weed out any question. It is the word of God. I could I could I could give to you this morning a logical argument penned by Charles Charles Wesley. He gave a logical argument. He said the Bible must be the invention of uh, either of good men or angels, bad men or devils or of God. He said somebody had to write it. He said it could not be the invent uh, the invention of a good man or angels, for they neither would or could make a book and tell lies all the time that they were writing it, saying, thus saith the Lord, when it was their own invention. He said, good men wouldn't have wrote that. It could not be the invention of bad men, or bad men, bad, bad man, the bad man. It could not be an invention of, of a bad man or devils, for they would not make a book which commands all duty, forbids all sin, and condemns their souls to hell to all eternity. Bad, bad men couldn't have, have provided us a way out. The devil could not have provided an answer of salvation to our souls. Therefore, Charles Wesley drew this conclusion that the Bible must be given by divine inspiration. I could give you evidence this morning of archaeology that shows finds that support the Bible. Can I tell you this morning that archaeology supports the Bible? Numerous archaeological finds have supported the Bible's accuracy. Otherwise, unknown places, events, and dates have proven to be historically accurate. Watch, listen to this. Nelson Gluick, a leading Jewish archaeologist, said, It can be categorically stated that no archaeological discovery has ever, has ever controverted a biblical reference. He said there is no discovery that has disproved anything from the Bible. This does not prove inspiration, but it confirms the credibility of writers who also claim they wrote with God's authority. Whereas, on the other hand, scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or exact detail historical statements in the Bible. Some notable discoveries that I'll share with you this morning. Number one, they, they, in 1968, an ancient burial site was uncovered containing about 35 bodies. One named Johannan uh, Ben ha whatever. <laughs> had a seven-inch nail driven through both of his feet. This was a body discovered, discovered in, in, this, in these graves. Johannan's legs were crushed by a blow consistent with the common use of a Roman crucifig a crucifigrum. This find proves that a victim of crucifixion, like Jesus, could receive a proper Jewish burial. In the 1980s, they discovered a fishing boat at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. They found a place on the boat that would support the story of Jesus falling asleep on that vessel. In... Um, I don't have the date. I've got some evidence here. Y'all with me? 
They found a piece of graffiti years ago from near the, the, the Palestine Hall in Rome and rather, and rather roughly dated to late in the 2nd century A.D. was apparently drawn by one Roman soldier uh, to mock the faith of a fellow soldier who was Christian. Watch, watch what this graffiti shows. It shows a man standing by a crucifixion victim with the head of a donkey. The Greek, the Greek caption inscribed on the graffiti reads, Alex, Alexamenos, the, the individual who was standing there, worships his God. Worships. The graffiti was a picture of the cross, of a man hanging on the cross, and the soldier standing behind it with a donkey head making fun of him that this man worships his God. It was, a, it was a discovery that provided evidence that a man worshipped someone who called themselves God. We know him to be Jesus Christ. Archaeology, archaeology discovered the, the town of Bethlehem in May 2012. They, in December of 2009, they discovered the small town of, of Nazareth. And, and I, I could read to you, Things over, I could read pages upon pages of people and things and places that they discovered that have over and over and over again supported the Bible. Prophecy is another thing that supports that the Bible is true. The Bible contains many prophecies recorded and then later fulfilled. Here are some examples. Are y'all, is everybody with me? This is a lot of information, and I'm sorry, but you need it. Israel's rebirth of a nation. Isaiah 11 and 11 speaks uh, after being dispersed many centuries ago. It was, it was predicted by the Bible that, that, that the nation of Israel would be reborn. For almost 2,000 years since AD 70, the nation of Israel didn't, did not exist then on May 15th, 1948, Israel became a nation again. In 1967, its area quadrupled and Jerusalem became a Jewish property. The Bible prophesied that this would come to pass. Another prophecy in the word of God, the destruction of the city of Tyre, was predicted in detail by Ezekiel, found in Ezekiel 26. In 332 B.C., some 270 years later, Alexander the Great completed the destruction, uh, completed the destruction begun by others. Each detail Ezekiel predicted was absolutely fulfilled. Another prophecy, four great successive world kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, were specifically prophesied and described by Daniel. And Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 7, each detail was fulfilled as these empires rose and fell in the coming centuries. Over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament describe the details of Christ's birth, life, death, and resurrection. 300 prophecies. The odds of even a few of these coming true in one person are staggering, much less 300 prophecies. But 
every prophecy of the Old Testament given of the New Testament Christ. All 300 prophecies came to pass, was fulfilled in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every prophecy was fulfilled. The evidence that the word of God is true is 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 it's so vast and so uh, there there is so much evidence that that I could not possibly cover it in five of these sessions. The evidence that this is in fact the infallible word of God is, is beyond true. I could go into miracles and how how can you explain miracles and signs given by God if the word is not true? How can you explain these things away if the word is, I've come to tell you on this Sunday morning that we can stand on the sure foundation of the word of God. I am convinced I am convinced, however, that God leaves enough room in every miracle and in every, everything that we must hold on to be true. I am convinced that God leaves enough space in those things to allow for doubt. I believe it. God leaves enough room in every miracle for you to question it. Well, did they really? Or I see, I see that they, I see that they were here, but, 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 but are they now? Well, what, what doctors did they? What, what, what? God leaves enough room, and in, in every miracle and in everything that we hold on to be true, God leaves enough room for faith to fill the gap. He leaves enough room for faith to be a necessary component of the equation because you can have all the evidence in the world. Somebody that was blind and could see could stand right in front of you, but if you don't have faith for it, everything that God does will be up to question. But if you could ever get the evidence and also get your faith, amen, to, to, to fill in the gap, amen, you've got everything that you need to make it. Amen. I'm almost done. 1040. I've got five minutes. Let me talk to you. Let me conclude on the power, the power of the word of God. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary were from Nazareth. They had to go all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem because of one scripture. Micah 5 and 2. That's how strong this book is. The Bible is just one book, but it's 66 separate books. Yet it is not a collection of just literary pieces without regard of agreement with each other. It is the only book that was written over a span of approximately 1,500 years. Approximately 40 different authors from every walk of life, including princes, poets, philosophers, fishermen, prophets, priests, publicans, and politicians. Some men learned in the wisdom of Egypt. Others educated in the schools of Babylon. One trained at the feet of Gamaliel. Moses was a political leader and judge trained in the University of Egypt. David was a king, poet, musician, shepherd, and warrior. Amos was a herdman. Joshua was a military general. Nehemiah was a cupbearer and a pagan king. 
Daniel was a prime minister. Solomon was a king and a philosopher. Luke was a physician and historian. Peter was a fisherman. Matthew was a tax collector. Paul was a rabbi. Mark was a secretary. It was written in different locations. Are y'all with me? From a wilderness to a dungeon. One was written in the cave of Adullam. Some were written by the rivers of Babylon. One from the hillside to a palace. Paul wrote within prison walls. It was written from Shushan to Zion. And John wrote the great book of Revelation from an isle called Patmos all by himself. This book was not only written by different people in different places, but it was written at different times. It was written during different moods. David wrote at a time of war and sacrifice. Solomon wrote in the times of peace and prosperity. It was written with different feelings. For it reflects the heights of joy. It reflects the depths of sorrow and dark despair. This book gives us bright hope. It talks about times of certainty and conviction. It talks about times of confusion and doubt. This book, this wonderful book, was written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. In countries 100s of miles apart, it was written in a wide variety of literary styles. It's poetry, history, narrative, song, romance, mourning. It's biography, it's autobiography, it's law, it's parables, it's allegory, it's prophecy. In addition, the Bible addresses hundreds of controversial subjects and hot topics that create opposing opinions, marriage, divorce, adultery, obedience to authority, truth-telling, lying, character development, how to parent, and the nature and the God of revelation. Yet, despite all of these differences, the Bible presents one single story with all the different continents, with all the different writers. It produces one central theme from the book of Genesis to the close of Revelation. Despite all of the differences, the one singular story of this book is God's redemption a fallen man. One theologian wrote, among all the people described in the Bible, the leading character throughout is the one true living God made known through Christ Jesus our Lord. One man did everything to destroy it. Many men over the years have tried to discredit this book, but they failed. 300 years after Christ, there was a man by the name of Diocletian who tried to obliterate the Bible and its beliefs. He turned the political and military might of his empire against God's word. So many Bibles were burned that he raised a column over the image of a Bible to commemorate it with this inscription, the name of Christians has now been extinguished. But I can tell you today that Diocletian is dead and Christians in the Bible are still here. Amen. Hundreds, hundreds of years ago, Voltar said, in 50 years, the world will hear no more of the Bible. 150 years have passed and we, ladies and gentlemen, are still here. Voltar would turn over in his grave if he knew that in 1950, 
the World Bible Society set up its headquarters in his house as a printing press. Immanuel Kant, an 18th century German philosopher whose influence is still felt in modern philosophy, philosophy, he said this, he said, there will be no more Bibles by 1900. No more Bibles. Thomas Paine, the author of The Age of Reason, a man who is a part of our history books today, who wrote two of the more important documents before the beginning of the American Revolution, set out to destroy the Word of God. He said there would not be five Bibles left in America. And here we are in 2023, and I've got that many Bibles in my office alone. This book is still alive and well today. Many have tried to tear it down, discredit it, disprove it, do away with it, burn it, burn it to, to pieces. But the word of our God, 1 Peter chapter 1 and 25, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. He said in Psalms 119, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And in Matthew 5, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Ladies and gentlemen, amen, on this day, on this Sunday morning, uh, I read to you the scripture that I opened with. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. I think we ought to take one moment, stand to our feet, and thank God for his unchanging, unmoving, moving, proven word from heaven. Come on, let's lift our hands and thank God for his true word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. We put our trust in your word. We build our lives on the foundation of your word. Thank you for the word of God. Oh, would you just for a moment just thank the Lord for providing a way and answer. Hallelujah. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. Let's clap our hands and thank God. Your answer this morning is in this book. You got to find it. Turn to a few people around you. Tell them there's power in the word of God. Power in the word. God bless you. In Jesus' name, you're dismissed. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.